Hello, and welcome to iPhone Life Podcast, episode 20. I'm Sarah Kingsbury, senior web editor for iPhoneLife.com, filling in as host for David Auerbach, our CEO, who is on a plane to New Zealand right now. And I am joined by... Noah Simpson. I am the COO of iPhone Life Magazine. And I'm Raphael Burns, the CTO of iPhone Life Magazine. And we have a great show for you today. Uh, We all happen to be parents, so we're going to talk about what it's like to parent in the age of iPads and iPhones and just tech everywhere coming out of your ears. Uh, We also have some cool tips and some insider questions and some cool news. So uh, let's get started. Uh, We do something called the tip of the day, and basically we email you for free every day a cool tip showing you how to do something cool with your iPhone or iPad. And so Noah is going to talk about our daily tip. All right. Yeah. So what was your favorite tip this week, Noah? My favorite tip this week was... Uh, how to unfollow someone on Facebook without sort of letting them know that you've unfollowed them. Um, Because it can be very tricky if you have someone that you really don't want to listen to, especially in this political season. And (laughs) (laughs) We live in Iowa, so it's like the first caucus. That's right. So So we get a lot of politics early on. Um, And you may not want to necessarily hear someone's rant every day, but that doesn't mean that you don't love them and you don't want to necessarily communicate that you're not their friend. Uh, And so the tip is really to unfollow them as opposed to disown them or dislike them. Uh, So when you unfollow someone, they don't get a notification. Uh, And it's very simple. When you see their profile, there's a little sort of drop-down arrow next to their picture on the far right. So you mean this is like their post, their offending post in favor of the politician you hate? Exactly. You can tap on that and then then click on the unfollow link. Or you can go to their profile page and there's a little uh, following button and you can tap on that and then click on the unfollow link. Actually, I think if you just tap on following, it will just automatically change. I've obviously unfollowed a lot more people (laughs) than you have. So if you like this tip and you want to get more tips, you can subscribe to them at... uh, iPhoneLife.com slash daily tips. Thank you, Noah, because I completely forgot that you are up. (laughs) We also have a thing called iPhone Life Insider, and... That's really cool. Do you want to tell us what you get if you subscribe as an iPhone Life Insider? Absolutely. The iPhone Life Insider program, which you can go to at iphonelife.com slash insider, uh, is really our premium service. Uh, And for every tip that we create uh, and write a blog post about, uh, we also create a how-to video. And so you can go in uh, and actually see that operation being done and really understand the ins and outs of, of how those tips are functioning. We also have guides, so you can go through and really dive into something like iCloud or the new operating system and macro learn photography. <clears throat> macro photography, learn everything that, um, that you would want to know about that specific area. Um, it also gives you complete access to our entire archive and history of magazines uh, through our digital app. So you can download our app from the App Store. um, And when you're an insider, you can read all of our back issues, search through all of those issues, read any article that you want. So you have complete And also the current issue, of course, right? That's right, and the current (laughs) issue as well, uh, you're immediately subscribed to. We also now have a very large catalog of these video tips. So you can go in and search through hundreds and hundreds of our video tips. Uh, you know, yeah. pick a topic that you want to learn more about using your mail program. 
uh, and click on that topic and then watch a bunch of videos and become an expert in, in using mail on your iPhone. Right, and we also have something called Ask an Editor, which basically you email us and an editor, usually me, sometimes Noah actually or Raph, <laughs> but usually me, answers your question. So we're basically like a one-on-one -on -one tech support, your personal tech support. And so here are a couple of my favorite insider questions from this week. The first one is from Tyler, and he says, Hello, I have the iOS 9.2 beta version on my iPhone 6. I have been running through too many glitches and would like to downgrade to iOS 9.2 standard version. My iTunes has my iPhone backed up, but with the beta version of iOS 9.2 beta. How do I restore my iPhone without converting it back to the original beta version, but with all my data still on it? Well, this it's actually like what you have to do is you have to put your device in recovery mode, uh, which you do by you turn your iPhone completely off and then you connect it to your computer via the USB cable and as you connect it you press the home button and you keep pressing it until I think a little thing will show up on your screen that basically says you know connect to iTunes and then um, and then in recovery mode you can uh, restore it from the backup that you made and here's the sad part the backup that you made before you enrolled in the iOS 9 beta program so basically anything that you've done since you made that backup you're going to lose and I I understand your pain that you must be feeling hearing this because I recently downgraded and it was painful and but there's a couple things you can do to minimize your data loss um, one, any app you have that has a service that you can log into, you know, like Facebook, obviously you're not going to lose anything because it's really independent of the actual app. Um, but if you have an app that like tracks some sort of like health metric or something like that, if they have a, an account, you can create an account. If you do that, then once you have restored from the backup and then updated to the shipping version of iOS 9, you will get all of that data back. So anything you can sign in and create an account for, do that. But otherwise, I am sorry to say you will lose a fair amount of data. But the nice thing is so much stuff is attached to the cloud that it won't be quite as bad as you think. You'll have to re-download music and games you'll lose data for, but it won't be as bad unless you're some kind of gaming master and you'll lose everything, sorry. It can be pretty bad to lose my high scores on games, I'm just going to say. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. If you're like super into gaming, I mean, and that's why you really need to think hard before you enroll in beta programs and why Apple says don't use your primary device for beta programs. On the other hand, iOS 9.3 beta has just been released, so maybe you should update to that before you decide to leave the beta program since you're already there. <laughs> All right. Um... The second question is from Jackie, and she says, I was wanting to know why photos cannot be moved from one album to another rather than add to. This way now I end up with duplicates, and if I want to delete a photo, it is deleted everywhere. So basically what's happening is all of your photos are basically in that main photo library. I can't, for some reason, the name of it is escaping me, if you guys can help is me out. Is it all photos? Yeah, I think so. I'll check right now as you're mm -hmm. talking. Awesome. And so when you add it to an album, you're not really creating a duplicate. It's just that, you know, it's like all of the photos basically just exist and live in all photos. But if you click on, say, 
one that you've labeled kids, it will just show you the all photos, all the ones that are in the all photos things that have kids. And so if you delete it from there, you may end up, you'll, if you delete it from all photos, you will delete it from everywhere. So basically, <laughs> there's not really anything you can do about that. They're not really duplicates. It's just, you're just choosing to look at a specific section of all those photos. Yeah, I think the, the key thing here, and it is called all photos, the key thing here is to recognize that when you have the same photo in two different sort of folders or when you're seeing it in two different places, it's not actually twice the data. Right. So you're not using up your iPhone storage and you don't have to be concerned <clears throat> about it from that perspective. Um, and the common terminology that you might be more familiar with in terms of a desktop uh, computer program is an alias. It's sort of like your photos in these other folders are like an alias to the original file that's right. in your all photos uh, folder. Mm -hmm. And one thing I've found certainly, um, and I feel like Apple is doing this, you know, on Mac as well, but it's definitely been challenging for me and several other people I've talked to is just being comfortable with changing from having folders. Everybody's used to having a folder. And so if you see all photos, you think that's a folder and then you see kids and you think that's another folder. And one way I kind of like to think about it is it's almost like you have all photos is, is going to encompass everything and kids is really just a label uh, to, to categorize, you know, some of those photos. Right. And um, so if you liked this, uh, the idea of sending me questions like this or you want to get all of our archives or you want to read those guides or you want all of it, um, you can go to iphonelife.com insider and subscribe. So... Now we're going to talk about things we learned about our iPhones or iOS or probably more likely, I know at least in my case, things that make you mad about iOS and your ah, iPhone. <laughs> so my complaint is actually an old one that I've had for a while, but I was reminded of it when my mother was asking me why her iPhone, which runs iOS 7, was still doing this one of my favorite tricks and my dad's iPhone, which is running the latest version of iOS, does not. And the thing is, you used to be able to in iOS 7, when you turned your flashlight on in control center, then, and then, you know, your flashlight locked, if you just press the home button, you could just tap on the camera icon and that would turn it off. You didn't have to like open up control center again and tap the flashlight icon again. And I thought that was great. It was like one of my favorite things. And then, uh, the iOS 8 update fixed what Apple apparently thought was a bug instead of a really awesome feature. So I'm still mad about that. Yeah, well, I would definitely like to pile on because I agree. It was also one of my favorite little tips. It's often that I turn my flashlight on when I'm going, you know, to my car in a dark, uh, you know, evening or something like that. And I'm trying to make sure that uh, that I can see my way. And, and I really don't want to have to go through the whole process of lifting right. up that thing. And sometimes on a cold day or something, it takes a little bit longer than... And also in the dark, staring at your iPhone <clears> screen <throat> makes it harder to see. And the longer you have to look at your iPhone, the harder it can be to see once you lift your face from the screen. Yeah, yeah, definitely true. So I, I'm very sad to see that go. And uh, I would like to see it replaced with something of a similar function that's really intended for it. I mean, I'd right. like to see that icon 
that flashlight available just immediately from the screen so that you can turn it off or have one of the buttons turn it off, the physical button, something of that nature. Usually if you need a flashlight, you kind of need it right away, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I definitely like the idea of having you know more contextual awareness uh, on the home screen, on the lock screen. You know, we have no notifications and other things like that, but if you're using the, uh, yeah, I guess you get a, a fair amount of it, but if you're using the flashlight or you're doing something else that there's some relevant, you know, action right. that you could I take mean, right from that screen. When you plug great. your headphones in, since iOS 9 came out, like the Apple Music or podcast app will just mm -hmm. automatically be ready to go. So it seems like if you're using the iPhone, the iPhone flashlight, then that should be there just ready to be turned off on the screen. Yeah. All right. You guys have any complaints or things you learned? I think one of the biggest problems that I have is... Is, is that you're blinding me with a flashlight on your iPhone? I just can't figure out how to turn it off. Um, <clears throat> no, one of the biggest complaints that I have is groups in contacts. Uh, you can create a group in your computer and you can't create a group um, in your iOS device. All right, Raph. <clears throat> What's your thing? So there's a couple things. I've got lots of things that I'm annoyed about with uh, with my iPhone and iOS. And a couple of them are more, you know, a little bit more of the developer side of things. Uh, I've For a long time, I just can't wait until Apple opens up Siri to third-party developers. Yeah. I would just love to have, you know... Uh, you know, there's all kinds of challenges, but I would love to be able to say, Hey, Siri, I just ate, you know, a Snickers bar you know, log that in my, you know, you, or you would, ideally you wouldn't have to say everything. You just say log, you know, I ate a bagel uh, or something like that. Uh, that's one major thing that I would, that would really love so to have. That so handy. Yeah. And I, I've thought about how you could sort of try and hack around it and, you know, maybe you could create a, a contact and send a message to somebody, but it's really not a, it wouldn't be a, a very user-friendly way to do it. Um, right now, and so that's that's one thing that's probably my number one complaint that I have with my iPhone. I think iPhone. it must be coming, don't you think? Because we can do, I think there's third-party Siri mm -hmm. access for the iPhone and maybe Apple TV, right? Yeah, I, f I feel like I've seen a few apps that say, you know, connect with Siri or give me permission, um, and, but it's always been, it, it seems like they've all been sort of shoehorning reminders, and so you'll create a list in reminders and then give the app access to reminders and then you'll say hey Siri remind me to log you know the 500 calories that I just ate uh, and then the app will be watching reminders for any updates oh that's awkward yeah they have the, the access is really limited yeah um, so that's one of them and if, if you'll permit me I have I have two more oh my goodness you've been saving them up yeah <laughs> we should have I've, invited I've, you on the I'm podcast very sooner. upset <laughs> um, one of them actually this one's not so much of a complaint but it's it's an interesting design decision and I think Apple could do some more to make it a little bit more clear for users so uh, right now permissions are separated in a lot of places for the app or for the operating system you set permissions in one sense and then the apps that actually take advantage of those permissions so for example uh, a quick example, uh, what I'm remembering, uh, my wife was uh, trying to get alerts on her phone for calendar events. Right. And there's one setting in iOS that says, you know, give calendar permission to send alerts. 
And she had gone there and done that and just assumed right away that, okay, now my calendar is going to give me alerts. Well, that's really just the OS level saying, okay, calendar can do that, but it's not telling calendar that uh, to send, send you the alerts. Right, you have to separately... You have to separately configure both of those things. I mean, I'm not really against that because I want different kinds of notifications for different apps. Some apps I never want to hear from, some apps I want to be alerted in one way, and other apps I want to be alerted in a different way. Yeah, I think that would definitely be useful, but I, I think there, would be some, there could be something where if you do it on the OS level, maybe it could say, okay, you've given permission to Calendar, and uh, maybe you want to go and configure those now. In that, that app, or that something would make that, sense. Would, that would push you to that to that configuration. Yeah, that would be actually handy and useful. <laughs> <laughs> All right, lay it on us, Raph. What's your third? All complaint? right, my last one. This one drives me absolutely batty, and it's Hey Siri. And I have on my <laughs> iPhone 6s. I'm which surprised I none of our iPhones woke up just then. That's yeah. right. Well. Mine. I have it enabled as, you know, special. It doesn't have to be plugged in. I've redone the configuration and the calibration probably five times, and it never works for me. Really? Even when it's plugged in. Hey, Siri. Hey, Siri. Hey, Siri. Nothing at all, wow. ever. <laughs> you know, our associate editor, Rayanne, was actually having this really long, involved conversation with somebody in her office, and she didn't even realize it, but something she'd said woke up Siri, <laughs> and Siri was transcribing wow. the entire like ten minute long conversation, and it was really creepy, actually. <laughs> yeah, my wife just recently set hers up on her uh, on her 6s, <clears throat> um, and she went through the voice recognition thing, and and I was showing her, you know, trying to explain like, well, now if somebody else you know says that, it won't recognize their voice. So I turned to my son, Miles, and I said, okay, Miles, say, hey, Siri. And he said, hey, Siri, and it woke up immediately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I don't even have to say hey. Sometimes I just say Siri, and my phone just is like, yeah, what's up? Yeah, you know? it picks it up. Yeah, see, I wish it was actually a little bit more aggressive in what it was picking up. And, and I think it actually may be related to the version of iOS because... What version of iOS are you using? I think I'm on the latest, on huh. 9.2. But my wife, her, she has a 5C, and it's always responded to Hey Siri, now obviously huh. connected to power. But um, when she just updated a couple days ago, and it stopped responding. So Interesting. I'm skeptical about the latest version. Well, we'll see what happens when iOS 9.3 starts shipping. All right. So should we talk about the news? Speaking of iOS 9.3, uh, are you guys excited about the new features? Yes, definitely. <laughs> I don't think you even know what they are. Um, what well, makes you say that, Sarah? Was it all of the looks that we gave you? <laughs> the looks of confusion and like, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, you guys are going to be excited because there's this thing called night shift mode that based on you know the clock and your geolocation will change your phone's light from blue light spectrum to the warmer spectrum light. And then because they've shown, of course, that blue light interferes with your circadian rhythms and since we, I don't know about you guys, but I definitely spend time on my phone before I go to sleep and the blue light then can interfere with your sleep. Mm. So it will automatically then change that light and hopefully you'll sleep better and can then use your phone in bed more. Yeah, I'm really excited about this feature. I, I actually am so excited about it. I installed a, uh, a side-loaded version of an open source application that Apple doesn't approve really. 
to do the same function, but it's always a little buggy and you know it doesn't quite work right because it's it's not really a production application. Uh, but it's definitely, I really am excited about that one. Well, I've got a graphic arts background, so <laughs> having my whole screen turn yellow, it sounds like a nightmare. Well, you know, you, <laughs> you, you can probably turn it off. I mean, the fact that yeah. night mode switch probably indicates there's some sort of like switching on and off. You can probably enable or disable it. Yeah, they, I, I'm sure they won't set it as like a, a default for everyone. Yeah. yeah. One thing that it, it occurs to me, you know, one thing you, you have access to now is you can invert the colors, which I found was useful at night when I didn't want to be, you know. You can even set up a triple click shortcut for that. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which have we have that. a tip for, and now I will make a note to link to that too. <laughs> um, but actually, another thing I'm really excited about is you'll finally be able to sort notes. You used to, you can only yes. sort them, they just like show up according to the date. And uh, you can still do that, but you could, you'll also be able to sort them alphabetically, uh-huh. which, I mean, I can't tell you how many people have written to me and written to me and been like, how can I do this? And I have to write back and say, sorry, you can't. Yeah, yeah, that sounds really nice. Do you know if there's, I haven't looked at the notes update, but can, can have they separated the uh, created date of the note versus the modification date? I don't know, but that seems like a really important thing, too. I'm going to add that to another thing that I'm annoyed about because <laughs> every time I update my notes, I mean, particularly if I want to log something, and, and I know you know, there's a lot of apps that I could use to log different things like a workout or food that I'm eating or you know, just different activities, but sometimes it's just nice to use notes and put a date and, and log it. Uh, just having that, free, that freedom is nice. Right. Uh, but I've always been annoyed by the changing date, and I don't know when I started or when I ended, and I have to actually add the dates, and it would just be nice if I saw when I created the note and then last modified it. Yeah, I agree. And another thing is you're finally going to be able to enable Touch ID for notes, which if you have like private things in your notes, maybe you don't want anyone who uses your phone to be able to just open it. And it'd be nice if you could just set that, like lock certain notes, you yeah. know? Um, but we'll see how that actually works. Maybe someone who's using iOS 9.3 beta can let us know. Um, (laughs) and this is a small thing, but, um, you can actually use news in landscape mode. I don't know if you guys use news, but on your iPhone, you can't use it in landscape mode. So if you're like, if you want to see something in landscape mode, because you're looking at a picture Mm. or watching a video, it's pretty frustrating. Um, and also they're finally bringing uh, 3D Touch quick actions to the stock iPhone apps, which right. they should have had all along. Definitely, that it's, should have come along. It's kind of ridiculous to like what quick actions are. It's kind of like right clicking on your computer, and then you just you basically 3D Touch the app, which just means you press it firmly, and uh, it brings up like a little menu of actions you can take within the app without having to actually open the app. Um, so it's really exciting that they're finally going to have it. Yeah, I think that was actually a mistake in terms of the adoption of the technology in general, because really what you, the the best case scenario for them was to have it be anytime someone tried to use it, it was available, especially within their apps and their ecosystem. And I heard a lot of people complaining, like they were randomly pressing on things and nothing was happening. And it sort of trains you to yeah. not expect it and and that's really opposite of what what they want yeah most people don't actually use 3d touch i often forget to do it even though there's actually some really handy things like if you 3d touch the phone app you can just quickly place a call 
to, you know, your three most recent phone call people. Um, although I would like to be able to customize what those menus are. That's something like if we're talking about complaints, I want to be able right. to customize the quick action menus because I don't take selfies. Thanks, Apple. But it, you know, <laughs> I might like to like do something else quickly with my camera app or customize like who I have the option to send a message to quickly if I qu- 3D touch the message app. So get on that, Apple. All right. So um, now we've talked about in recent podcasts rumors about like a four-inch iPhone. And now we have more rumors about that. Only now they're saying it's going to be an iPhone 5E, which right. um, uh, what does it stand for? It stands for... Why is my brain not working, Noah? Not encoded. It's enhanced. Thank you. I got it. It stands uh, for enhanced. So there's some debate about whether it will have the latest chip or an earlier version of the chip, but basically um, it will have Apple Pay and possibly 3D Touch, but it will basically be the same size as an iPhone 5, 5S, and supposedly it's going to be available in a couple months. That, of course, is just a rumor, but we've heard so many rumors about a 4-inch iPhone. I feel like at some point we may actually get one. I don't know about all the other things, but it seems like we're really going to get one. What do you guys yeah, think? Yeah, I think it's certainly plausible, and, and more likely than not, Apple is using you know an inventory-based uh, launch date for this product more so than their flagship products. So as they're running out of the 5C and as they're running out of the 5 standards, you know, and those orders are winding down... Um, then they can launch this this newer product, and it's not necessarily going to be shaking the market in terms of, um, you know, people being super excited about it. But if you're opting for the lower end iPhone, they want to make sure that they're not um, selling phones to people that can't use the latest features that they really want to be part of their core ecosystem. Right, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that really like deep insight. Yeah, <laughs> I'm all about it. I am excited about you know the uh, the the four inch iPhone. I I have the six S now and I'm happy with it. But I definitely sometimes I can certainly see why some people would want a smaller phone. Yeah, especially I th- I feel like it was a really hard adjustment for me because I mean my hands are just smaller and it's I don't even know how people can handle the six S plus. Yeah, but I mean, because I feel like I drop my for- phone more now. I probably won't go back to the smaller screen, but it's definitely harder to keep like a strong grip on it. Yeah, I I think it, it, there's no question that it's a trade-off. I mean, the experience of having a larger screen is really nice. Yeah, it's great to have absolutely. that screen real estate, and you connect with your phone emotionally through that screen. And so there's a lot of positives there. But it is a trade-off. It's a it's the ability to to do operations with one hand. Uh, it suffers the ability to not drop it and, and handle it. Definitely, those things suffer as a result. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. So the final news item I want to talk about is um, just more Apple Car rumors. Apple has actually registered uh, the domains apple.car, apple.cars, and apple.auto. They did that in December. And now some people are saying that uh, they're just doing this preemptively in case they ever want to make a car. They don't want someone else to register it and have to like buy it from them later because there all, are all these rumors and you know someone might be tempted to just go and preemptively buy them. Uh, but then, of course, there's also, you know, they're hiring people from BMW and other places. And so 
I mean, it's just very clear that they're doing something with cars, but what do you think they're actually doing? Do you think they're going to make a car? Uh, I, I think if they're not going to make a car, they're definitely going to be a core element of, of the automobile industry. And, and I think very similar to the phone industry where, you know, they had the iPod and they had phone companies talking to them like, how do we bring, you know, this music system mm-hmm. that you've done so successfully to our phones? And they had people asking them for that, for that integration and their partnership with Motorola before the iPhone, if anyone remembers. Um, but the same thing is definitely true in the car industry because really cars are going towards the automated uh, car and it's going towards the navigation system that's driving itself. And so much more of the car uh, experience is going to be based in a user interface. And, right, and, and they're really ramping up CarPlay too. Yeah, and so so it's becoming what Apple is good at is becoming a central tenant of what cars will be in your experience with cars. And I think those car companies are all thinking like, you know, can I get Apple to help me do this because they're so excellent at it. And it's just hard for Apple to completely ignore that and not say, hey, this might be our next major space. And obviously the industry is so huge uh, and Apple is not shy from huge industries. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, to me, it seems like a perfect strategy to really be the key integrator or the key uh, provider for your car's operating system uh, and the technology in the car. That seems to me much more likely than Apple coming out with their own car. Yeah. I mean, if you look at how the smart home industry is kind of going, I mean, people are coming out with all these smart home things, but you're going to control it all with your iPhone. I mean, basically our life is going to be controlled through our smartphones. And so it just makes sense that your car would basically be run from your phone (laughs) at some point. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's true. So I just wanted to take a minute to mention that we also have a magazine. So if you want to read, you know, more in-depth analysis about the possibility of an Apple car and CarPlay and other news and rumors and more tips and app things can go to iphonelife.com slash subscribe and actually get our magazine in a print version or you can subscribe online as well. You can subscribe online or you go to Barnes and Nobles or Walmart or a bunch of other locations, 60 countries around the world and lots of airports um, and pick up a copy. Awesome. So now we're going to talk about some fun apps that we tried this week. Um, I have become a virtual crazy cat lady this week. Um, <laughs> I, uh, my daughter uh, encouraged me to put on my phone this uh, Japanese game called Neko Atsume. And basically what it is, is you have this yard and you start out with a little bit of like the game's currency, which are fish. And you can use them to buy little like treats and toys for the cats. And then cats come to your yard and you get more fish and then you can like expand your yard and you can get cooler treats and I don't know what the point of the game this is. This sounds really exciting, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, the best part about it is such a passive game. You can just like open the game and be like, oh, look, these cats visited and then you close it and you get back to what you're doing instead of spending like hours frantically like swiping or tapping. Um, so it doesn't use very much of my battery um, and I have a lot of people in my family who are allergic to cats so it lets me like explore my love of cats and cute Japanese animation yeah. without actually like having to change litter. I think I can somewhat relate to your experience here through Clash of Clans. Uh, although that said, I'm definitely a user of Clash of Clans that like uh, it only worked for me for so long. 
mm-hmm. and then the underlying you know algorithm of how you grow and expand your clash of clans um, village uh, really that algorithm became more prevalent to me than my enjoyment of the game in general and so that that really sort of was was the end of it for me but I can definitely see the sort of wanting of, of building something in those that type of I just want to look at like and... cute little animated cats. <laughs> uh-huh. And I just want to look at people, you know, like giants crushing other little small things. So, <laughs> you know, it's similar. Yeah, see, it's very interesting because the app <clears throat> that I happened to pick was Monster Legends Mobile, which happens oh. to be another tap and wait kind of deal. And, right. you know, you get gems and you get monsters and you breed the monsters together and get new monsters. And it's all very exciting and the same thing. But... You know, it's funny because my son uh, actually saw an ad for it and he said, Dad, you know, can we please, can we get this? Can we get this? And he, you know, bothered me about it on and on and on. And eventually I said, okay, we'll try it out. And I installed it for him and I, and I helped him play it for about five minutes. And then he went off and did something else and I kept playing it for quite a long time. And I'm very excited about it. So what is this, what is this app? It's called Monster Legends Mobile, and mm. I really like it because it is a tap and wait, and it has in-app purchases, of course, to buy gems. Uh, but they I, all do. They all do, but I've been pretty happy, actually, with, I feel like they do a reasonably good job of not forcing you to spend real money, uh, which I'm always extremely annoyed by, um, and so I, I, I've enjoyed it a lot. So it looks like this is the game version of like apps this week, so what... What app did you really like this week? Uh, so this week, um, I, I rediscovered the Jetpack Joyride on my Apple TV. <clears throat> uh, and it's a game that uh, my kids and I played when it first came out on, on the iPhone and iPad. Um, and it's a fun series of, you know, it's a short little game and you're traveling down this, this path. Uh, and it gives you a bunch of different um, types of tasks to accomplish on on that path, and you have to avoid zappers and uh, and you you know get into vehicles and and it's a fun game and <clears throat> um, and finding it on the Apple TV and being able to sort of uh, play it as a family and and pass the remote around and have everybody take a turn and and accomplish the tasks. It's been sort of a fun little uh, game that I've I've been playing with my kids somewhat on the weekend, and so that's. Been nice. An interesting theme for all of this, besides games, is that it was our kids who got us oh, into it, right. which is handy because uh, the theme this week is like parenting and tech. So, what do you think? I mean, there's a lot of like, oh, don't let your kids have screen time. It's bad for you. You're a bad parent if you park them with an iPad. And then there's people who are like, oh, just don't worry. You know, they need to have that technology. So, what do you think? What's what's your philosophy, Noah? Uh, my philosophy is is definitely one of avoiding extremes. So I do not think that just giving your kids complete access to technology and letting them watch it whenever they want and play games whenever they want what and possibly go stay wrong? up late and you know <clears throat> I don't think that that's a solution. And I also really do not think that extreme limitations is a solution either. I, I, I've you know seen parents that are like, you know, when their kids are exposed to a TV show that has a commercial and they're covering their kids' eyes so they can't see the commercial and, 
to me, it's just ridiculous. Don't you and, think it's <clears throat> more important to teach your kids to be savvy? Like, I'm thinking of the commercial thing. The first time my daughter was exposed yeah, to commercials. Yeah, explain the commercials. She did not know what they were, and she was like, Grandpa, there's this thing, and it will give you the best shape a man can get. And yeah. she was so, like, she didn't understand commercials, and I had to explain it to her. But yeah. if they don't know that, they don't have that savviness, it's And, and I, think, yeah. I think that actually hits the nail on the head, because really my, my approach or my, my thinking on the matter is is provide context for your kids. Right. That's what they need because they're going to be exposed to it. They're going to be making their choices about their own screen time in their lives. And really what you can provide as a parent is context. And and is this a good use of time or is this, you know, just a marketing ploy or, you know, all of those things. Right. Uh, arm your kids with context so they understand how to react to those in, in a manner that's that's appropriate and healthy and and all of those things. Yeah, I agree. Um, what's your What's your philosophy, Raf? I definitely am sort of in the same boat, and it's interesting because I spent you know a little bit of time being more on the just to jump way back to my childhood. Uh, probably when I was two, I was starting uh, with computers, and in fact, the first word that I learned to spell was strong, because strong was how you. You know, you typed in strong to start my favorite game at the time uh, <laughs> into an old DOS computer. And so, <laughs> yeah, DOS, you, you know, that that was just how I started. And uh, a lot of gaming and, and computers and screen time, if you will, really uh, fed a lot of my education and, and my experience growing up. So I definitely owe a good part of my career to having early exposure um, yeah. So I, I'm definitely generally favorable, but I do think that there there is certainly you, c- you can go too far in the other direction. Certainly, and I've seen, uh, for example, my son. I feel like I maybe started a little bit early, or maybe I just don't know how to appropriately, you know, manage his emotional state around it. But you know, if I let him watch a video, for example, or uh, do something for a little while, it, he has very hard time with ending. And yeah. I kind of get that in one sense. And, and one argument I heard, take it outside of the tech world, you know, if you have a, a child has a favorite toy and they have a, a train set and they're really excited about their train set, nobody would say, okay, you can only play with the train set for 15 minutes and then we're going to put it away. Uh, but that's sort of expected from a technological perspective. Right. Uh, and so obviously the child will be very upset when you go, no, okay, give me the iPad back. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't know. So I find it challenging. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with both of you. Um, I've definitely found when I haven't been as strong at setting limits that things don't go well. But at the same time, it really depends so much on how you use it. I mean... My, I remember one night my younger daughter was using her phone and I was like, you need to give it to me because you have to go to bed. She's like, no, Kim Kardashian needs me to do this like task. Like, <laughs> I was like, I don't even remember approving that app on your iPhone. Like, That's but, it. <laughs> but I think I should delete it now. But then on the other hand, my older daughter, who's in the process of applying for college, she's used it to study for her ACTs. She's used it to manage her study time, you know, with different productivity apps. She's used it to connect with other kids who are also, you know, in the process of applying for scholarships and colleges and, and, and it's been like a tremendous resource for her. And it's also, it just takes over your life. You know, you manage your schedule on it and, you know, she has her bank account on it. And as you become more independent as a child, 
you're gonna need it's to take the iPhone away is like taking not just taking away like say a video or a game you're taking away their calendar and their alarm clock and mm-hmm. access yeah. to their bank account and their books and their music I mean it, it's as if you cleaned out their entire room but it's just one device yeah yeah definitely true and, and I, I find that um I, I have three boys for for context my my oldest one is is soon to be a teenager uh, and my youngest is in kindergarten um but my oldest son, similar to yours, Raf, has a really hard time with transitions in general, uh, you know, be it from the iPad or, or anything. And, and what I found with him is that, um, is that really managing the expectation uh, for him is, is ultimately the key. Like pulling it away, not a good idea. <laughs> okay, we're done now. All right, everybody put it away. You know, that type of approach yeah. to it does not create a good response and, and, you know, he internalizes and gets frustrated and and all of that stuff um, doesn't work well. But if we say, you know, for his phone, we set a family reminder. You can set reminders that are individuals or family based and we use family sharing. So we have a family reminder where everybody's device at nine o'clock dings and says, okay, bring your phone downstairs and like that. give right. it to your parents. And so everybody's notified. Everybody knows that it's there. It's a very clear indication. It's very difficult to ignore for everyone in the family. Right. Um, and it's very clear. As soon as that thing goes off, then the phone comes downstairs and it gets put away and he's you know done for the night. And prior to that, we were having lots of problems of sneaking the phone. And 11 <laughs> o'clock, you know, the light's on at night yeah. and he's yeah. in there watching a YouTube video or something like that. And, <clears throat> and so we've had to... Um, you know, we've had to create a little bit more of a, of a clear and, and concise set of, of rules. And I feel like ultimately it's the setting of those limits and, mm-hmm. and making sure that those limits are not unreasonable, both for you and for the kids. Yeah. Talking through those limits, explaining the reasons for them, not necessarily dictating them, but saying, hey, we think this is the best and this is the result we're trying to accomplish. Yeah. Uh, those have all worked very well for me in terms of keeping those those regular boundaries and, and setting those yeah. expectations for the kids so they have the context by which to understand that the time is done. I agree. It seems like the smart thing to do because it thinks mobile technology is only just going to become more sort of uh, interwoven with our daily life. And yeah. so you can't really avoid it. And the smartest thing to do is just to educate your kids to use it intelligently and to help them learn to regulate themselves and maybe do some of the regulating yourself until they're at that stage Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, one thing, and, and I wonder how maybe there's there's an app for this, or, or if not, it would be a, an interesting idea. But um, one thing I struggle with, and maybe, you know, my son right now is in kindergarten, and it could be just his age, uh, but there's some elements of sort of the conceptual, if the, if the limits are too conceptual, he doesn't necessarily connect with what is it, you know, what does 15 minutes really mean? Yeah, definitely. And what does this really mean? And, you know, yeah. it's, and or, you know, I get one more video. Can I watch one more video? Yeah. And it's like, uh, yeah. It, it, and you say, yes, but that's the only one. And it's like, I don't know, it's, there's magic. They, they just don't hear the, the only one part, you know. It's like, okay, I'll ask for one more, and then I'll just ask for one more again, and yeah. I'll get another one. And so I don't know if there would be some visual representation of that or some, you know, that is, that's the area where I feel like there's the biggest struggle possibly is, 
you know, with kids who are too young to necessarily understand and relate fully to the physical world, and if they get sucked too quickly into a digital world, and how do they relate to the physical world and, mm -hmm. you know, physical uh, properties of it, uh, that's the area that I'm a little bit concerned of, and I don't really have an answer of how do you manage that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know that what what we do and and we have a um we have a designated time on the weekend that we give the kids to play their video games and you know we give them an hour on Saturday an hour on Sunday usually in the morning and we you know let them choose from any device they want they can use the Wii they can use the iPhone they can use the computer um and they just manage that time <clears throat> but oftentimes there'll be two kids that want to use the same thing right and so before we start, you know, we sort of have this little like, okay, let's make a plan. What's the plan? Is everybody okay with the plan? You know, who's going to be using this first? Who's going to be using that second? Um, and one solution that has worked very well is we say, okay, let's set a timer then for 30 minutes. If you're going to do this first right. and you use it for half the time and then he uses it for half the time. And I've found that when you, when you take out the emotion of a parental response, um, then it it definitely helps if the if the device is just beeping, you know, after 30 minutes, it's very difficult for a child to argue with the fact that that 30 minutes is done. Yeah. Right. Whereas with the parent, it's like, well, but I can use my persuasive powers that I've worked the last five years to create with you <laughs> yeah. to then expand, you know, my expectation. <clears throat> so I think that a lot of times building in uh, a trigger that is not based on your input or not right. emotionally charged yeah. uh, is right. is a solution that that can often work. Routines all often work in getting kids to like yeah. go along with things that they wouldn't necessarily choose to go <laughs> along with. Yeah, you know what that reminds me of is that there's a great uh, scene in the show Silicon Valley, and it has this super obnoxious billionaire, you know, startup <laughs> guy, and you know, it's this is sort of to me, it's like taking that to the ultimate ex extreme. You know, as he's talking, he's out in the entryway of his huge mansion, and his kid comes out of his bedroom, and, you know, he, he texts something on his phone really quick, and then the house starts talking to the kid and says, you know, oh, you're out of bed, and it's time to go back to bed. And so it's just, it's completely not the, the, the parent. The house is the parent, really. <laughs> and it just, it's, you know, the guy's super obnoxious, and it obviously seems very ridiculous, but I can certainly see you know, in a more practical sense, that, that, that makes sense, you know, removing the parent, the parent <laughs> dynamic, I feel like I certainly struggle with, uh, you know, oftentimes my son just doesn't want to do it because, you know, I've told him to do a bunch of things already today. <laughs> I just remember when I would have to get my daughter to stop doing something she was enjoying, I would, I would act as if it weren't really up to me. I'd be like, yeah, it's really too bad we have to leave the park. It's, you know, but, you know, if, you know, it's, we can probably it's come again. Law. Yeah. Like, well, basically like, yeah, I'm really sad that we have to go too. It's too bad we have to go. So let's go. And, you know, since you're being such a good girl about it, maybe we can go back tomorrow. But yeah, it's bad. It's sad. Yeah. yeah. You know, and that was like, then it's not something really you're doing to them. But I wanted to talk about like some other concerns like yeah. that you hear a lot about, like the social isolation. Like people are like, oh, like our kids are mm. zombies. They're just always on their phones. And I, and I wanted to see, do you feel like that's actually a problem? I feel like it's a different way of connecting with people. You know, I, I think that's a, that's a, um, that's a curmudgeonly viewpoint. I, yeah, I think it's too. a curmudgeonly viewpoint because I, I really see the opposite. My, my kids 
create social connections with their friends. I mean, we get, like you know, Minecraft, Minecraft parties. Exactly. Yeah. Going over, logging in together with Minecraft. They're all over each other, relating and telling stories about this and how to do that and jumping on each other's computers to help them with each other. So, you know, I, I really don't see technology as somehow limiting that that type of interaction. That said, you know, you you do want to create a balance for everything. So you don't want to create that as the only source of right. social right. interaction right. for your child. And you want to nurture other options as well. Um, so I think, you know, everything, everything, you know, within limits, you don't want to go too extreme in one direction or the other. Yeah, I agree. I, I always laugh when people are like, oh, it's so isolating. It's like, you know, like my kids each have so many social media accounts that I think they pretty much like just spend all day talking to their friends. And, and I did the same thing. I would like, everyone in the family would be mad at me because I was on like the phone, like the cord, the really long cord would be like stretched <laughs> into my room and be on there for hours. But then that brings me to another thing is like online safety. People are really freaked yeah. out about that. Like, yeah. oh my God, like creepy people are going to be stalking your kids and friending them on the different social media. So like, how serious do you think that danger is? How do you talk to your kids about it? Yeah, that's certainly a tricky one. And, and, and I mean, I think, Sarah, you probably have more experience with this than I do because my kid is just getting to the age where he's 12. We don't have a Facebook account for him yet. Um, he's interacting with his peers. But do kids that age even do Facebook? Because I feel like my twelve yeah. I think they definitely you know, thirteen do, is thirteen is the is when you're supposed to. But I don't to, even mean it that way. You're not way. supposed to prior I mean, to that. Like, but yeah. they're using other social media. Yeah. Well, definitely. what what my son does is he he has a lot of sort of chat interactions with his classmates as part of a structured way that they interact with each other with homework. So they will all log into a class account, for example, and they may have collaborative projects where they're, uh, you know, collaborating on a paper or something like that. So there's a fair amount of, of interaction uh, with their close group, you know, of friends that way. <clears throat> um, but I think when you jump out into, into a public profile space, A, I, I think that should be held off, you know, for, <laughs> for a good period of time. Uh, you know, unless it's like really central to your to your child's like you know identity and and well, here's the thing: is as I've discovered, kids just sign up for them and then they have accounts and then you find out because you have the password <laughs> to their phone and every once in a while you check. I mean, to be honest, though, of it's course, true. they can't really put apps on their phone without me uh, allowing it. But they've gone on their computers and signed up for Instagram accounts and Vine accounts, and then then right. they have the apps on their phone. Yes, I've definitely found that that's true. That that relationships with companies are are, are definitely built and constructed without my knowledge, and I find out afterwards. And sometimes yeah. it's positive, and sometimes it's not positive. I mean, I think it's a good idea to always, you know, have one of your thumbs as on set up for Touch ID on your child's device if they have their own iPhone or iPad. Um, and also to just make it clear to your kid, like if you have a social media account, first of all, you need to check with me before you set it up and I need to follow you or be your friend. And here are, you know, what I expect from you in terms of like who's allowed to follow, who you're allowed to follow, what you're allowed to post. Um, I feel like when people really freak out about kids, they're like, oh my God, creepy people are going to send them these pictures and they're going to get bullied. But I feel like people don't talk as much about maybe you need to talk with your kids like, what are you posting? Yeah. What are you sending? Yeah. What are you saying to people? Certainly. Like nobody says like, don't bully other people to their own kids, which actually I think is a really important thing to say because any kid in any situation can say mean things. And I feel like without 
being able to see someone's face without that in-person yeah. interaction, you can yeah. end up, you know, without even realizing it, being way meaner than you intend or without really feeling the f- bad feelings you might feel if you were mean to someone's face. Yeah. yeah. I feel like there's a great uh, Louis C.K. Can you tell I have a middle school girl? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, there's actually a great Louis C.K. video on this exact topic, which is sort of why I won't give my teenage daughter uh, an iPhone. And he, he talks about that exact experience where, you know, he says if you say something mean to somebody in person, you see the person react and you see their face and you can see the pain that you've caused them. And the way he describes it is you kind of have this internal experience of, ooh, that doesn't feel good. And then the contrast is, you know, he says it on the phone and it's like, oh, you know, that was fun, you know. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I think that's really a conversation you have to have with your kids about, yeah. Yeah. you know, how do you behave? Like, because you're going to encounter people who just really are easy to make fun of, especially in middle school, which is such an awkward time. And you have to talk to them about being kind and how some people are different and may have struggles we don't see and and how does it feel when those that's all right. turned on you and and then you know show them the connection and just monitor i mean it's it's you want to give your kids privacy like you wouldn't like spy on all their conversations you know like eavesdrop necessarily and and that's kind of what you're doing when you're like reading text messages, like one time I did read some of my daughter's text messages and I felt a little icky. Yeah. But then at the same time, there were things that were a concern, but she might've said those things in person and I wouldn't know and never would never have said. So you just have to have the conversations with your kids. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a really important element and, and, and I'm going to contradict myself a little bit here because I said, uh, just a few moments ago that, you know, you may want to hold off on, on you know, having your kids uh, join a social network of sorts. Um, but I think it's really important that if your child creates an interest themselves or they're joining it or they're asking for it, that you're not necessarily being too restrictive and, and saying, no, you can't have it. Because oftentimes they'll find a way I'm into just, it. Yeah. This just sounds like a conversation about yeah. sex ed now. <laughs> <laughs> they'll, they'll find a way you know, into that social network without your guidance. And so really what the, the best way is when your child is, is creating that interest or, or, or you know, if you're lucky enough for them to express that interest to you, uh, again, to provide context and to go through it with them and say, okay, well, this is how you do it and right. this is the best way to interact and these are some of the problems and help help them set up the account so that, you know, you can avoid it. And this is why I would choose this and this is why I would choose that and, and, and help educate them and let them make choices. Yeah, well, again, it's yeah. like just like mobile technology is just becoming just part of every facet of our lives. I feel like the social media thing is another thing. It's like so much of our social interactions just take place that way. And, and and now even to get some jobs, you have to say, oh, I have this many followers on this account. And I have, right. you know, it's like, it's actually like your social media sort of presence is actually a sort of an important part of your public persona. And, yeah. and so you don't do your kids any favors by keeping them naive or blocked off or letting yeah. them sneak around and go on there without your guidance. So so any concluding words? I mean, I feel like my conclusion is like parent. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, be a parent when it comes to technology. Don't be afraid of it. Educate yourself. Educate your kids and relax a little maybe too. Yeah. I, I had the um, I had the good fortune of going to, to an education conference where uh, the head of the uh, Isaacs Independent Schools was giving a talk and, and he made a similar point, which was, that um, 
you know, technology in the classroom for, for teachers, a lot of times schools and teachers are adopting, you know, technology in the classroom just because it's the new thing and it sounds cool and it can do this and do that. But ultimately, if you're not actually approaching it from an educator's point of view, like, am I accomplishing the education through this device that I want to, or is it bettering uh, my opportunity to teach the kid? Um then really it's meaningless and, and it's worthless. And I think the same thing is true with parenting, which is use the technology to further your kids' understanding of things and, and to empower them to, uh, to learn things and to grow and, and to experience those things. But make sure that you're doing it with um, by providing them parental advice, by providing them with right. the same type of lessons and education that you would be, you know, teaching them on, on the playground, you know, you know, give that back or, you know, share with your friends or take, you know, it's like all of these things. You wouldn't say it in person. Don't say it on your phone. Yeah, exactly. All of these, you know, real life situations are are things that you would engage with, with your kids and other scenarios. And really it's the same here. It's, it has to be done that way as well. Yeah, I think I definitely agree. And uh, to me, it seems like parenting, you know, in the technology age is really, it's an extension. Obviously the, the fundamental principles of teaching your child to be a responsible and kind and, you know, the, the positive qualities that you want them right. to have. And then there are certainly some sort of nuances that you have to understand about, you know, public profiles and they last forever and so on and so forth. Um, but it's interesting to me because I was thinking back and luckily, you know, this question to some degree is a little bit uh, further along than it applies to my son because he's not signing up for social networks and so on. He's in kindergarten. I think Taja signed up for her first when she was seven, so she was precocious, but just, <laughs> just watch for I it. I got a couple of years. Yeah. I got a couple of years. But it, but it really reminded me of my childhood, and, you know, there were some differences, and I think it's, it, it's interesting to note because I basically had complete, unfettered, you know, free Internet access, and I got into all kinds of trouble and saw all kinds of things that probably were bad and, you know, scarred me for life and so on and so forth. <laughs> um, but there were a lot of there was a lot of positivity in that as well. Uh, and having, you know, feeling like I could go and discover things on my own. Um, but one thing that was different from when I was growing up to now is there was much less focus on me putting things out there. And so it wasn't like I was, you know, a right. third grader and, and, you know, publishing things all over the place. <laughs> I was browsing as a sort of an anonymous uh, reader, um, which was, it, it just shifts the dynamic a little bit, I feel like. And you have to be a little more aware of, okay, where are you connecting and engaging and, and with who uh, definitely raises some more questions to me. Yeah, it is really important, and it's it's hard. A kids <clears throat> just developmentally don't have necessarily just even the brain power to say, oh, this picture maybe should not be posted. Right. I mean, I had a situation with my daughter where she really dislikes school for a number of pretty good reasons. She has a learning disability, and school's not always the most fun place. But, you know, posting a picture on Instagram saying school's out and giving the finger, it's not, <laughs> like, a good idea, you know? Right. And so... Um, fortunately, you know, her older sister helps me monitor her account. Um, and so we were able to kind of have a discussion and I feel like that's a pretty mild and instance in terms of like the personal ramifications for her, but it was a really good opportunity to say, Hey, there's a really good reason not to post pictures like that. And, you know, and then explain it to her. And so 
you know, I was unhappy, but it was in some ways a really good opportunity because maybe it will prevent worse things from going out there. Right. Yep. All right. So I feel like we've covered that topic pretty thoroughly. But if you have some opinions or feel like we were totally wrong or really right, uh, you can just email us at podcast at iphonelife.com. Also, if you want more news or uh, to reviews of cool apps and gear, you can subscribe to um, iphonelife.com slash subscribe or iphonelife.com slash insider if you want all of the awesome benefits. And then, of course, what is the thing for the daily tips, Noah? Because I completely iphonelife.com <laughs> slash daily tips. Well, that was really hard. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks a lot for listening. And next week, I think we're covering macro photography. So look for uh, the next episode as well. All right. Sounds good. Great. Thanks, everyone.